but I knew I'd reached a fork in the road. Yes. I couldn't continue with the volumes of work that I had mm-hmm. as a lone wolf or with just a few a right. few tutors. I needed a leadership team. I needed mm-hmm. support. Yes. I needed to bring on um, those partnerships that would alleviate my load so that I could actually identify what I love to do and focus on that. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Welcome back to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. I am your host today, Ron Huntley. And with me in the studio today is the CEO and founder of Westbrook Tutoring, Nicole Gilbert. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hello, Ron. Thank you for inviting me. It's a lot of fun to be able to dive into leadership topics from all kinds of venues. Of course, normally I'm speaking about parish renewal and leadership within the context of the clergy and and leading out of teams. But I often find so often those principles are equally relevant within the business world. And so it's going to be fun to break open with you the type of work that you're doing in your ministry, in your in your business as a tutor. And so it's going to be fun. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking forward to it. So thank you. You're welcome. Tell me a little bit or tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into tutoring anyway. Like what was it about your upbringing or, or your desire as a young person that, that took you in the area of, of education and tutoring? I was raised in a very ardent Christian family. Um, Christian principles were instilled in us as children from a very early age. Uh, we had to study the, the Bible with our mother every morning and every night. And um, in addition to that, my father was a professor of medicine, and uh, specifically internal medicine. And my mother actually was one of his students. So she also (laughs) was a physician. Uh, And then we were sent to private school. So not only were the tenets of strong Christian living upheld before us, but the importance of a very solid education. And uh, my dad's uh, adherence to those beliefs was visible uh, in the teams of students that would be seen following him in the hospital corridors. So. <laughs> I bet. Now, I know a little bit about your father because you've shared it with me before, but your dad was awarded or, or recognized with a distinct award. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe a little bit about your dad's impact and legacy on you as a, as a teacher and as a learner? Uh, yes. My father was awarded the Order of Canada in 1997, uh, about 12 years before he passed away. And at that time, I didn't maybe even really appreciate or understand what that really meant. But as I have grown in the industry of education and begun to understand the importance of the passion and the compassion and the heart that's involved in in being a good educator, and in my father's case, a professor, um, I've begun to understand what that accolade really meant. And uh, the country literally recognized his contribution in the field of education and clinical medicine. 
uh, with this very tall order. And so uh, I remember seeing that lived when I reflect back on that and how much Dad was devoted to his students. And uh, it's pretty cool, very cool. That's beautiful. So it sounds like just even in the crucible of your family, there that education and your and Christianity were were really, I guess, hallmarks of your upbringing. Those were cornerstones. Full mm-hmm. stop. Full stop. Love yeah. it. And so, at what point did you decide to? Did you always want to be a tutor? Did you always want to be a business person running an organization of tutors, or is that something you evolved into? Tell me a little bit about that. I always wanted to teach. Okay. And in fact, I found an autobiography that I had written in my university career. Um, And in it, I stated these words as a 19 or 20-year-old that I wanted to really make a difference to the teaching profession in Canada. And I had no clue what that would look like, but I did have the desire. Um, What actually got me into tutoring was being flat broke as a student (laughs) and uh, looking for ways to have more options for what I could put into the grocery cart. Um, And so it seemed obvious that maybe if I just picked up a few students here and there, that that would alleviate that problem that really bothered me. (laughs) You love to cook. You love to buy nice ingredients. Yeah, yeah. that simple. Actually, it was grapes that I really wanted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. It's funny what can motivate us at times. So education was something that you were pursuing. Tutoring was something that, that you sought out to make some extra money to help uh, maybe the lifestyle that you were hoping to live at least around the dinner table with your family. Yes. So really a very simple motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but behind that was a really strong passion for the role of, of a good teacher and a good mentor. That. So at what point, like how many tutors do you have working for Westbrook Tutoring now? I have 18. 18. And so that's a business. Like that has grown from getting some grapes and a little bit extra spending money to actually helping employ other people make a difference in the lives of young people. At what point, or maybe do you remember hiring your first tutor, bringing on your first tutor? I do. And that would be about five years ago only. Until that that point, I had played the full role. Um, And he was actually one of my students originally. One of your former students Mm -hmm. that you tutored became a tutor. And that's when your business started to grow probably about five years ago. Yes. And how long have you been involved with tutoring? 30 years. 30 years. So Westbrook's 30 years old, but five years ago, things started to transition from just you to bringing other people on board. Yes. What was that like for you? At the time, I was a bit afraid Mm -hmm. because it meant letting go of some control, which I hold to quite tenaciously, and I figured I had to do that. But uh, I'm discovering it was the smartest thing I did. Neat. Yeah, and I I had lots that I could learn from even very young people that were were working for me. Beautiful. And so... What impact? Well, I guess before I go there, I, I want to ask, like, so so to go from 1 to 18, that's significant. And I, and I know in the world that I coach into with parishes, as parishes begin to to look at a, a, a to dream about a, a better future, a bigger impact, 
oftentimes priests realize very quickly they'll never get there on their own. They can't do it by themselves. There's only so much they can do. I'm guessing as a business owner whose primary passion was education and influencing the next generation, I'm guessing you've had to evolve. You mentioned having to give up some control with hiring one person. What have you learned about yourself as you've gone from having one ex, you know, one tutor to 18 tutors, how have you, how are you, how do you find yourself evolving? Well, instead of being a lone wolf and just marching to my own beat, mm-hmm. I have learned how, or I'm trying to learn how to play the role as a leader within a team. Yeah. And like the students that clung to the hems of my father's pants, literally, um, I have a body of tutors that really, that really hang on me, and it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's really invigorating, and they're excited about what their impact is, and wanting to model it after that of myself. So that's a, that's an interesting evolution. As I hear you talk about that, I'm thinking your primary passion was probably influencing these young people and their attitudes, and uh, towards education, learning, and the results that they would get in that pursuit. And then you add on to that the opportunity to mentor and invest in a group of tutors who are also sharing that passion of influencing the next generation. It's almost like a whole other layer of influence and opportunity has been, uh, you've grown into that as a, as a business leader. Absolutely. And what the tutors are looking to me for is completely different than what the students are looking for. Mm-hmm. And yet... In both cases, there's a real desire to uh, listen and understand and grow from both groups. Yes. And so I feel uh, empowered. I feel grateful, but I also feel humbled. Mm, that's nice. Mm-hmm. How? Share with me because you don't you don't stay in a in a in a field for 30 years and go from just yourself to 18 other tutors impacting lives without strong values. What values would you say have defined how you tackle this field of tutoring and education? Uh, I would say the first and foremost is the value of integrity Mm -hmm. uh, because that encompasses many different pieces to the business and if it's not there it will fail or would have failed sure and so integrity in terms of the seriousness with which i take on the mandates that my clients give me Mm -hmm. and that in my mind just describes the the discipline and the focus that i the conscientious focus that i give each of those mandates individually Mm -hmm. and that takes integrity of purpose. I, I have to be who I say I am, mm-hmm. or I won't be able to drive that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is is reliability, and I've I've really sought to be a reliable investment in people's lives, and in particular, someone that parents could count on, and students to be there uh, as needed and as I have committed. And I've tried to embed that into the culture of, of the company itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and another value I have is passion. I, I don't 
I don't think anyone should take on the, this type of work without a real passion for students and for learning because we're impacting those lives. And so if we're not ardently excited about what we're doing, uh, we're spoiling it for them. And that's, that's wrong. It's, it's not integral. It's fun because even as you said the word passion, your face lit up. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> so, so clearly that, that is something that burns in you. What would you say if somebody said Westbrook, what, what does Westbrook do? How would you define that? Westbrook develops longstanding rapport with families. And by that I mean well over a decade easily. I, I've started with students when they're in grade two or three, and I still have them in their early university years. Mm. And so... That's a rapport. It's it's a rapport of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings change. Children change. Needs change. Family needs change. But I've always sought to be that very reliable uh, rock in their life that mm-hmm. they could depend on. And that as the kids grow and change and their needs change, uh, I can supply that, if not through myself, through the people that I hire. Right. to meet those particular needs. Love it. So Westbrook is, a, is an organization that that builds longstanding relationships with families to impact student education, or how would you define that? Yes. And, and not only that, but build that attitude towards education and towards success in these students. Because often students don't feel maybe that they can make it they look at their parents who are successful and it seems like a tall order. I I couldn't I couldn't ever be my father, not a chance. But that's okay. Um, we have to supply that building block in our students whereby they they feel that their success is their best and that's good enough and that's all we expect and that's what we celebrate. That's wonderful. And so what what's some of the impacts that you enjoy having? Like what are some of the benefits that that your clients have experienced? Share some stories of of success of impact that you've experienced in in the work that you do with people and families. Well, I really work with three groups of students. Uh, the one group are your very, very strong students. Uh, who are looking for another percent or two. And that might sound like insanity, <laughs> um, but that's the hardest one or two percent uh, that, that a student could ever hope to achieve, to go from a 97% to a 99%. But in the competitive world in which we live and uh, the demanding careers that a lot of these students are pursuing, that one or two percent is all the difference. And so... Uh, that that's a big impact. If we can help that student achieve that, um, we're, we're the best. Um, another group, and maybe the most the, a very interesting group, are the underperforming but competent students. And it's very fun for me to to pick those kids out and to work with their attitudes and to shift their mind so that they they own their success and they recognize that it could be there mm-hmm. and that they're in the driver's seat of that. And their commitment, taking a complete change, will drive that success um, to, to a reality. And so uh, one, one story that I love on this front is uh, 
actually the father is a lawyer and he pretty much physically brought me his grade 11 son in a paper bag and dumped the child in front of me, child being, you know, 17 year old and said, we've had it. Like, we don't know what to do. Um, So I looked up the history of their family and their family is a long history of lawyers, uh, judges, um, brains, in other words. (laughs) And uh, what was wrong with this guy? And I agreed with the father, like, what is wrong with you? And so as I do with all my big mandates, uh, I told the boy that I was going to meet him for lunch and we were going to have an adult conversation. And so it was kind of like a little interview with, with, with the boy. And uh, into it, I you know, injected a lot of questions that made him introspect. And partway through the luncheon, he said, excuse me, and he dug into his backpack and pulled out a very fancy little black notebook, and he started to write notes on the things that I had admonished him. And one of those things that I told him was that I kind of checked out the history of his family and there's no reason why he shouldn't be excelling. Uh, the seedbed was there, and the willingness of the parents to assist that as needed, and what was his problem? Mm. And he couldn't answer it. And uh, so I told him that his life was like, like a business. And if you waste time going to too many parties, getting ready for too many parties, recovering from parties... Mm-hmm. And then you add up all of that time in any given week. What do you have left to invest that's worthwhile and that's going to pr- propel you forward? And he wrote all of this down. And his father told me later that he literally stopped wasting time. Hmm. And he started to document how he spent his time. And within six months, his marks went from all failing to all above 85, and then in grade 12, he was in the 90s and everything. And so, yeah, he's a, and he's in law school now. So <laughs> Stop it. How good does that feel? Changed, just changed his attitude about educa- education, but also in his ability to, to change his own trajectory. Mm. And then I take the students that simply struggle, and they're sure. adorable, <laughs> you know, because we're not looking for huge grade improvement but just to bring out the best in them right yeah i guess not everybody's going to be hardwired academically to get these 90s not a chance and there's some families that you know they just see the capacity in their kids the genius in their kids it just doesn't have to it just doesn't necessarily mean reading and writing and then you're you have to help them get through school i remember a a book called uh, rich kid or sorry Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he wrote a book, Rich Kid, Smart Kid. And uh, there's a lot of really neat principles that talked about this idea that every every kid, every child is, is has a genius. Mm-hmm. Some of them it's social, some of them it's physical, it's mm-hmm. sports, some of them it's it's building things or fixing things. Like There's all different types, and the school system is really oriented towards reading and writing. And for some people, that's going to be a challenge, but they can still have a successful life. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And the school system is set up to reward those who are capable of producing this glossy transcript, mm-hmm. which in some ways is is too bad. But we do try to uh, zero in on the fact that I believe 
as the owner and founder of this company, that every student has their own genius. Mm. And also that the student's best is they're excellent. And that's good enough. Right. Mm. That's neat. And so when when you're coaching or teaching into these students that that are coming to you, like how often do they come to you? How often do you teach them? Does that vary from mandate to mandate? What kinds of mandates do you find yourself taking on from parents? They're as varied as there are clients on my roster. Um, But one of the growing mandates is where typical scenario is both parents are professionals, highly engaged in their careers, uh, want to come home and enjoy coming home at night with their children, not have to then begin the arduous process of going through their homework and making sure that things are completed um, in a timely fashion and with excellence. And so I have clients who literally hand me that mandate. And so maybe there's two, three, or more children, and I'm responsible to make sure that each of those children has the support that they need in each of each of the subjects. And that can be quite comprehensive because we have sciences, we have humanities, we have kids in high school, kids in junior high, and I don't believe that one tutor can cover all of that. I hire tutors and assign them to students according to very specific subject need. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have a chemist work with a grade 11 or grade 12 in chemistry. And that way I, I'm getting the very best uh, for that student. So that that's a big one because that's a tall order, a big mandate, a lot of trust mm-hmm. uh, on the b- part of those parents. Um, then there's sort of two or three times a week where it's kind of like a back-end support and students can save their questions and things they're struggling in for myself or whoever else is on, on the team to help that student. Right. Um, and then there's the once a week, which is my minimum, an hour a week. Um, and if a student is really strong and carving their own path and doing really well, Sometimes that's enough, but that's a really small percentage of what we do. Okay. So minimum one hour a week, small percentage. A lot of these students end up uh, adding time into that connection with with Westbrook and then as needed, these specialists that come alongside to make Mm -hmm. sure that they get the maximum impact. You know, you bring up a good point. I can't help but imagine that, you know, we do pretty much live in a do-income world, Mm -hmm. double, both husband and wife are working and and that must be challenging because it is tough like if you're not really enjoying school I can only imagine the pushback parents get and they're exhausted and tired and and to be able to (laughs) if they're in a position to be able to partner with Westbrook for that that probably takes some stress off them probably helps with the family life I would imagine I've been told that by numerous clients that to have that piece taken care of is you know the same as anything else that people hire out Mm -hmm. whether it's their groundskeeping in their yard or Mm -hmm. you know maintenance around these homes large homes etc there isn't the time and so the same you know applies to the children's education really following that closely and making sure that t's are crossed i's are dotted pardon the pun uh, that that's a 
that's a big job and especially with multiple children. Right. And uh, so we also hope that through the work that we do that we're alleviating stress in the home. And sometimes there's differing of opinion between father and mother, you know. Mother's maybe a little softer in her approach. Father's a little more hardcore. <laughs> and now mom and dad are fighting over this. Right. And so if I can take that role, and I'll even take over communicating with teachers, like Westbrook will do that, uh, you know, according to the mandate of the parent. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about it. Right. You know, and then I will sift right down to the kernel at what they need to hear about. Love that. And so what I'm hearing in this as I listen to you, and again, as I, uh, as I superimpose that over my world in, in leadership and, and, and parish renewal, is that you started as the chief cook and bottle washer. You know, when it was burgeoning and, and small, you did everything. But if you were going to grow, you were going to have to change the way you led. You're going to have to bring new people on board probably a specialist or sorry, as generalist in the beginning, but it sounds like as the longer you grew with your clients, the more specialized they became, their needs changed and you had to start bringing in specialists. And so how you saw yourself, how you serviced your business had to grow. If you were going to continue to bring value to the, the students and the families that you were in partnership with, because it sounds like you work with these families for 10 plus years sometimes and so you had to evolve your business had to evolve and then as a result of that how you lead has been evolving so you it sounds like you've been on a learning curve yourself as a business owner out of care for these students and families the whole thing's evolved it's exciting it's very exciting and actually for for a few years now I've wondered what it meant when I heard a middle-aged person say you know Sometimes you just feel like reinventing the wheel. And I think that has come for me in, in exactly this way, that the business has grown and grown far beyond what I imagined or even set out to do. I just wanted to have freedom in the grocery store. And so with that, in order to keep it going and keep the momentum, I've had to bring in help and support. Yes. And that has created the need in me to define core values, Mm -hmm. define goals. Where am I going? What do I do anyway? What have I done? Uh, What has worked? What hasn't? Uh, What is the niche that I serve? And all of those are really answerable. But I had never really sat down and gave the introspection that that was due. Right. Yeah. So there's that whole introspection process. At what point do you feel that really began to kick in? Uh, probably in the last year. That's awesome. Yeah. Turned 50 and decided I can't continue to do all this anymore for whatever reason. This is just this. I need to change something. Mm. And that was to, to bring in help. But then I had to be able to articulate to the people I was bringing on beside me. Well, who am I? Right. And what do I do? So, because they they can't, you know, take on the culture of what I have tried to create if I can't define it for them. It's neat because I'm, I'm guessing you would have had a choice. Like you say, at 50, this grew in some ways by accident. It continued to grow to continue to keep up with your, your mandates and the, the, the parents and the 
students you loved so much, you, you continue to evolve for them. And it got to a point where probably a lot, that was a lot to manage. And you had a neat choice. Do I, you probably, I don't know, but I'd say any business owner can say, either I'm going to sell it, I'm going to turn it over to somebody, I'm going to get smaller, or I'm going to embrace this opportunity and evolve so that I can grow my impact. That sounds like, to me, the choices you would have had to face, and I would think any business owner, any priest, or any bishop for that matter, is going to have to come to that place from time to time and say, recognize this is hard. Mm -hmm. And what am I going to do with hard? Am I going to give it away? Am I going to quit? Am I going to get small? Or am I going to evolve and be the person to be the leader that I need to be or this movement needs to be? It's a choice. It is a choice. And, but I knew I'd reached a fork in the road. Yes. I couldn't continue with the volumes of work that I had mm-hmm. as a lone wolf or with just a few a right. few tutors. I needed a leadership team. I needed mm-hmm. support. Yes. I needed to bring on um, those partnerships that would alleviate my load so that I could actually identify what I love to do and focus on that. Right, and what you're best at. And what I'm best at. To, to give up some control and, and not even control, but responsibilities that you would have taken res, you know, ownership of to begin to figure out which of those that you can give away and where. And that's hard. I, again, all leaders go through that rendering process that, mm-hmm. you know, what can I, what am I best at for the sake of this movement and team? And what do I need to start giving away? And that giving away process can be hard. Did you find that like, at different points. Oh, it is. Yeah. Like, and at the same time, I was really aware, Nicole, don't micromanage. Right. I, you would hate if some client stood over you when you're working with their student. You would feel that they didn't trust you. Or, right. You know, they've hired you, but they don't trust you. How how uh, unbecoming. I don't, mm. don't hire me then. So same for the people who I've hired to support me in my work and my leadership role, um, I like to give them autonomy. I like to give them their space. Uh, don't micromanage. And I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy the freedom that they have to help me and that I'm not going to stand over them and sort of cramp their style. I remember well, just recently being introduced to one of your tutors who seems to love Westbrook as much as you do. It seems like the passion that you have, the people that you've brought around you, share your passion, share your vision, share your values. How has that come to pass? Like, how have you been so blessed to bring around such talented and passionate people? I think, Ron, people are attracted to people who are happy Hmm. and passionate and care about what they do. And so human beings love positivity it's like sitting down to a good meal. Like, have you ever seen a grouchy person sit down to a delicious dinner? No, people smile. This is exciting. And so people love to be around people who are happy, people who exude passion for whatever they're doing. And so I have, I've discovered that, you know, happiness is a great, it's a great motivator. And And when I work with my team 
and I show the passion that I have for students, it's almost contagious. And they can't help themselves. And I've had tutors that have quit other jobs because they just want to be more infiltrated by the culture of Westbrook. And so it's a win-win because you put that in front of a student and the student feels it and they know. And so it's, it's a way to the races. Oh, I love that. And again, there's nothing you're sharing that isn't applicable to other businesses, nonprofits, the church world, building communities, turning things around. Attitude and culture is contagious. And there's some intentionality behind it that helps us to recruit amazing people. And so congratulations. When you look into the future, so you have 30-year legacy. Westbrook has a 30-year legacy of learning. When you look forward, what do you see? What's your dream? My dream is that Westbrook becomes a brand, an exclusive brand, if it isn't already, um, that is known for the niche of clientele that we serve, um, our commitment. Uh, I want want us to be that brand. Mm. And so when you hear the name Westbrook, you instantly know that you're talking about a support system for students of all ages, all abilities, um, bar none, and that that support has longevity. It's got uh, a massive amount of passion behind it Mm. and a culture that cannot be denied. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful. I appreciate you coming on today. I appreciate you sharing your passion with us and your specific interest in educating and influencing the next generation. You know, there's so much, again, of what you shared that we can apply to Parish Renewal and and other people that are in business, lay people that are listening that I think are going to be able to take some of these nuggets away and apply them to what they do. So, again, thank you and, and best of luck in all that you're doing to to at Westbrook to have an impact in young lives. Thank you, Ron. It's, it's lovely to have been here and to share in something that I care very deeply about. Wonderful. And so for those of you that have been watching and listening, thank you for your support. Thank you for the ways that you engage with rating the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify or on, on Apple Podcasts, thank you for watching on YouTube as we've come over to YouTube now. Um, we really appreciate you subscribing leaving comments. If there's anything that you're thinking to yourself, I would love to dive more into this particular area of leadership as it relates to business, parish renewal, whatever it is, we would love to help be a solution to the things, the questions that you have. So again, thank you for listening. God bless you. And we'll see you next time. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are.